you know, Elaine and I, we have a, a real pleasure and a real joy of helping our children raise their children. You know, she's she been out shopping all week long to help, and she'll call, what size this, what size that? And, 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 and she get things all together. I already told them, I ain't buying nothing, you know. So my Christmas shopping's all done. She's handling it all, you know. But we have all through the year the privilege of helping to raise our grandchildren and to help guide them and help minister to them and to have input into their lives. I was telling my daughter-in-law that uh, I'm buying two books, one for her and one for my son. Uh, she's in political science, and I'm uh, buying her a book over what religion has forgotten and what uh, government has not learned. And, and it's, it's talking about those two things. And uh, then I'm getting for Gus... And his boys, because he got all boys, seven important decisions leading to success. And especially with young boys, they are to be trained. Oftentimes we forget every country, and especially if you look at Africa, they start training young boys very early. And one of the things we're missing is this process of training and it takes that part that we are willing to train our children. And understand this. To build a family is work. <laughs> to build a family is work. And if you're going to build a successful family, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice and work on the part of the parents. It just doesn't happen automatically. You have to be willing to really work at it. And be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary to build godly young women and godly young men. And that is a lot of, lot of, lot of work. And for a lot of parents, they do get stressed out. Why? They're trying to work to provide, and when they're done with work, they're expecting to go home and do what? And you go home and do what? Work! Training somebody is not easy. It's an ongoing, constant job of repeating yourself to be able to train. Kaylee, sometimes she'll look at me. Now I'll say, Kaylee, Go get me this. Go get me that. I'm training her to serve. But to do it with a smile. No. To do it without getting angry because somebody's asking you to do something or commanding you to do something. Because, see, sometimes we're asked to do things at the most inconvenient time when I don't want to do it. And one of the things you have to teach children is this. Is to do it when it's in what? Inconvenient to them. No. Me, I gotta stop doing what I'm doing? To go get something that you could go get yourself? Yes. 
Because you're teaching them to serve. You're teaching them to support other parts of the family. Isn't it strange in a family that one person would want all the support, but don't want to support anybody else? And part of that comes from a point that they've never been taught that they are to serve and support the rest of the family or other members of the family. And servitude doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. Requiring a willingness to sacrifice in the family is everybody's business. Especially the father. He has to be willing to sacrifice. Why? He sets the tone. He sets the example. And he has to be willing to sacrifice. And when children don't see a father who's willing to give it all for them, it hurts them mentally and attitude-wise. They have to learn and they have to see it in action. What does that look like to sacrifice? What does that look like to serve others? What does that look like to get up at three in the morning and head out to work on a below zero day? (laughs) What does that look like? They need to know what it looks like. And he said, requiring a willingness to sacrifice if it is going to come into existence. If you're going to dream a dream for your children, you have to be willing to make the sacrifice if it's going to come into existence. It doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen on its own. And understand this basic principle also. Nobody raises their children in a vacuum. It is the input of many other Part of society. It's the input of relatives, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. It's the input of school teachers, neighbors. It's this constant input that goes in. The parent's job is to be the gate watcher of what's really coming in. And the only way you know what's really coming in is if you are communicating with them. If you're talking with them. And that is important. But it takes people to build people. It starts, yes, with parents. It is the input of many people that winds up building their life. But it all starts with the parents. The contribution of others should be appreciated. Oftentimes today, we're living in this thing, don't. Tell my children, don't talk to my children, don't direct my children, you just come tell me. No, the thing is, is this here. Know the people who you surround yourself with. That if something was to happen to you, could you pick out and say, I trust these individuals with my children? If you had to call somebody on an emergency that you had to leave, but yet your kids at that point couldn't go with, could you call somebody and say, can I bring my children over and you feel safe with them? 
understand the contribution of what other people put in. And I understand today the type of world we live in causes us to be cautious. But you need to understand this too. Part of society and helping them to relate is allowing that ability for other people to contribute into their lives. The young man that you saw come up and hug me, been working with him and his dad for over 10 years. They live out in Arizona, and they was here. Now, it's something they would just come by before they left. And he calls me about once or twice a week. Come up and just hug me. And I asked him this question. Still in school? Yeah. We're going to finish school, aren't we? College. Encouraging and putting in to other people's life. Building other people's lives. It's investing. I told Roscoe this morning. I said, Roscoe. Because Roscoe been praying for future elders. We had a young man up in my office that came with me to pray with the elders this morning. And I said, Roscoe, you better get him. <laughs> you know. And he held hands with us and he's just right up there with us. You know, praying with us. But when is he to start learning? When he's 16, 17, 8? No. You started at a very young age. Participation is important. To have a successful family, you've got to have other people participate in your family. If you close yourself off, you narrow the communication of your children. That's why I said you're the gatekeeper. You're going to be careful of what comes in. But you want the participation of other people. Because other people will see sometime in your children what you're not seeing. And you want other people to have input. And that's important. But you also be the judge of who's doing the inputting. Now, understand the word passion. Because we also time use the word passion. I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about that. And usually we always put the word passion with what? Love. Passionate love. Passionate this. But understand... Passion basically means pain. Now, we wouldn't relate that. If I'm passionate about my family, that means pain. If you're really passionate about your family, you're going to suffer pain as you minister to them. It's the process that God has ordained that brings about a dying to self. And dying to self is always painful. But it's that dying to self that allows me to serve my family and uplift my family and build my family. And everything that I do is to exalt, in a sense, my family and secure my family. And I should be, as a man, passionate about my family, willing to suffer any pains, anything that I have to go through in order to lift up my family. 
And the word basically means pain. It's about suffering for what you love. It's about suffering for what you love. The word passion. To be passionate about something. You're willing to endure whatever the pain it might be. Now, the noun family. The word family, we often relate it very quickly to bloodline. And it could be a family of two or three, four or five. It could be just husband and wife, they're a family. Sometimes we refer to family as a country. We're one family, we're one this. The body of Christ refers to itself as what? One family, one body. A family is consist of parents and children living together in a household. That's difficult. That's difficult. You're living with other people, especially as they begin to grow and develop their own mind. If you're parenting, do you see your children developing their own mind, their own will, going after their own desire? And that makes it a little rough sometimes. But that's where you also have to begin to learn how to reason. You have to learn how to have a conversation with. You have to learn how to guide and to lead. And one word that you have to learn, but you want to use it in a manner that is not frequent but when you do use it, it's understood. No. No. The word family comes from a Latin word. And what it means is servant. <laughs> servant. Family are a people who serve one another. We serve one another. We help one another. We support one another. We minister to one another. We're servants to each other. And oftentimes we forget servants have to be trained. Now... One of the first order of marriage is to decide what kind of family you're going to develop. You need to talk about that. And even as grandparents, you need to talk about it with your children. What kind of family are you trying to develop? Now, understand there's many different types of family. But there's only two styles of family. Many different types of what we call family today. But you got to decide what kind of family you're going to be. Are you going to be a close-knitted family? A family that learns how to depend on each other. If you don't learn how to depend on each other and work together, then you got a warring family. <laughs> You got a family that each one is out to survive on their own without the assistance of the other. 
you want the closeness because the closeness allows them to thrive together. They learn to encourage each other together. They learn to help each other through their trials, through their time of testing. They, they, they learn to be there for each other. What kind of family order are you, you going to have? Now, in my home, we used to vote about things. And uh, I was allowed to have two votes. And Gus was the other vote. See, when, when you do democracy, you've got to be fair. But you've got to be cautious. You've got to be wise. See, there was three girls in my home. Mama. Tyler and Faith. So I very quick gave myself two votes. The only one I had to convince the deadlock something was who? <laughs> and we would vote, you see. And just like Robert, if it's deadlocked, then it just dies. <laughs> you know. But the whole process was to help them to understand also how to have input in. Allow your children at a very young age to have input into the order of the household. That's important. That gives them also part of ownership in the household. That gives them value in the household. Because now you're allowing them to be part of the order or the structuring part of the household. Teach them how to work and work together. Children don't want to work. Now moms, don't protect them. I had Gus up on my garage roof with me. And when mom saw that and grandma saw that, get him down off that roof. Get him. Well, how did they think I learned how to walk on a roof? You teach them to work and the value of work. You teach them how to even work together as a team to accomplish something. Family that will support each other in life. Not just while we're in the house, but after we are out of the house and we may be living west, east, south, but yet if somebody needs help, It's just a call away. They don't have to guess, will they help me? If it's within their means, they're going to help. And there's no hesitation about asking for the help. Now, let's also define help. Help is not helping me to do wrong. Help is helping me to do what is right. And needful in life. Now, those things have to all be taught. Or you can do this. You can grow up like a weed. And weeds usually always stick out. And weeds are, in their own way, always trying to take control of a certain area. 
they don't really contribute to anything as far as beauty, but they do want to control. You're going to focus on survival. And a weed thinks about survival. It thinks about itself. That's why it chokes everything else out around it. Weeds don't coexist with anything. They kill everything around it. And sometimes you wonder why people push everything else away from them, everybody else away from them. It's because they have not learned how to coexist, how to work together, how to be apart. Isn't it strange a blade of grass will grow up and take care of just that little area which it grows in? But a weed to do what? <laughs> and oftentimes, why it's seeking to control is for its basis to survive. To survive. Now, you can teach your family how to survive if that's your goal. But life is more than just survival. Life is about constantly growing and thriving, no matter where you're at. And that takes training to teach individuals how to grow and thrive, how to be prosperous and successful. That takes training. That just don't take putting three meals before them. That just doesn't take you get to school. That just doesn't take putting a roof up over their head. It takes you having direct input daily into their life. On many different levels and many different subjects. And you want them to thrive. Go to Psalms 127 with me. Psalms 127. This is an important little statement because now I have to recognize who's really building my home. Now understand this. Either God is building your family or Satan's building your family. You're getting your information from the world whose God is Satan to bring back and input into your family. Or you're getting wisdom from God and from his word to bring back and put into your family. It's only coming from one or the other. And parents have to choose that. Parents have to understand their children will be taught by Satan if allowed. Or they have to choose to teach their children the things of the Lord. Now, he says... Unless the Lord builds the house, it's built to labor how? In vain. If it is not the Lord really activated in building your family, all what you're doing is in vain. It's going to falter. It's not going to stand. It doesn't have a solid foundation. The Lord has to be the head of your house. The Lord has to be directing dad and mom. The Lord has to be showing you how in each stage of life with your children, how you input into their life in order to build them and strengthen them for each season of life and each stage of life. 
And it is the Lord then who walks you through that process. It's the Lord that guides you on how to be a father, not a dictator. It's the Lord who guides the mom how to be a godly woman and show that example to her children. It is God who gives that mom that desire to be a homemaker. It's not easy to be a homemaker. It's not easy to have three meals ready every day. It's not easy to have everybody's clothes washed. It's not easy when they're young trying to braid hair, especially if you've got two or three daughters. Or uh, It's not easy trying to get everybody ready to go somewhere. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord is playing a part in your life as parents, you're going to labor in vain. And come on down into verse 5. He says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Full of what? Full of children. Now, in that time... If you were considered a wealthy man, you had vineyards, you had sheep, you may have cows or something else, and see what you wanted was a bunch of what? Sons. Go out there and see about them sheep, boys. Go out there and take care of that vineyard, boys. Go over and do this, boys. Then from a biblical history part, you can see why Young boys were more valued to a man, in a sense, than young girls. Or wouldn't it be something that a father say to his 10, 11 sons, come on, we're going to go visit our neighbor. Because the neighbor might be the enemy. He got his little small army. So he said, blessed is the man whose quiver then is full Because they're looking at a different time, a different day. And he says this here. Boy. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their what? With their enemies. When you had a bunch of sons, who wants to contend with you? And the whole process, it was that protectionism that sons bought. It was that labor that the sons bought. No different. But it's still somewhat the same today. These young men had to learn how to protect and be warriors. A father still has to learn how to protect and be a warrior on behalf of his family. Go over to Psalms. 115, Psalms 115, and, and, and this is part of how you're going to do it, because it is so important to, to be able to do this, and, and he says, may the Lord make your increase both to you and your what? Your children. Not just with your generation, but to what? The next generation. The next generation. That knowledge is going to be passed on. Right on down the line. One to another. That you're going to also share. That they be ready for it. Proverbs 22. 6. I've turned to it. But it says. Train up a child. In what kind of way? 
not the way they want to go, but in the way that is right before God. You train up a child. And, and guess what? They're going to argue with you all the way through. Because they don't see what is needed. We did that in the military. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. Boy, it looked funny doing some of the stuff that they taught us. But when you got into a battle, you were ready. (laughs) You were ready. How do we begin? Go to Proverbs 13, 16. Because, again, I will iterate, it's not easy. And parents, you have to prepare yourself for this. And there's no book that's given to you when the child is born about what you need to do. He says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Oh, I'm in 16. You want to get 13. He says, every prudent man acts out of what? Yeah. Parents should constantly be building on their learning and their knowledge. Because the final answer for something basically rests on you. When your child comes to you for advice, are you giving them flippant knowledge just off the top of your head? Or can you base that knowledge on something? The thing is to always be as much as you can up to date with what's going on. That you give them good, solid advice and wisdom and knowledge. And he simply says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his what? His folly. And parents can show the folly by not giving good, solid advice or knowledge to their children. Go to Proverbs 24 and verse 3. 24-3. He says, By wisdom a house is built. Now he's used two words, knowledge and wisdom. The wisdom is knowing how to properly use the knowledge and disperse it into the life of your children. Oftentimes we used to believe just because people were older, they were supposed to have what? Say it again. Wisdom. Now, it takes both knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge can be taught of God and of man. So you can gather knowledge both ways. But real wisdom can come from only one source, and that's God. And that's why Corinthians speaks to us that Christ has been made wisdom for us. That we can draw upon that wisdom anytime, in all situations, that I know how to properly use my knowledge in the life of my children or anyone else. What advice I give my own children, 
I give to the young man that was here earlier. His dad calls me dad. I'm not his dad, and I don't find about that, but he calls me dad. Because in some ways you act like that in their life. And he says again, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is what? Established. Through understanding it's established. You have to work on understanding each one of your children. You have to understand their mood swings. You have to understand their mind, understand their thinking. Understand their strength and their weaknesses. Because they're not the same. Each one of them are what? Different. And in building that successful family, you've got to deal with all your children. Now, 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 dads, hear me. The way that you deal with mom gives children the area of trust for you with their life. As they see you care for their mother and give their mother good sound wisdom and knowledge and help guide through, that allows the child to really trust you. Because in their life, in one sense, you're the highest authority. There is, I've got to be careful here now, there is that thing that, boy, we're of the same authority. Mom and dad, we're both parents. But see, in those older homes, it used to be, especially if they're in trouble, I'm going to tell y'all, <laughs> you just wait until you're... <laughs> and that meant something. Because in one sense, the family was recognizing the highest authority in that home was who? Dad. Now, moms, understand this principle. The way you respect and love your husband is speaking volume, number one, for a young man to know how he is to be respected as a future husband. But it also teaches the young girl how to surrender in security. And I want to emphasize that word security. That she can really surrender to someone who really knows how to properly love her and care for her. Because she sees the example in the mom's trusting of the dad. That she can also then surrender trusting in her husband. But that's something that she learns, as we were saying in Sunday school by Daniel and, 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 and some others. They learned it while they were at home. They're not going to learn it after marriage. They learn it before. Now, the children see and hear. That is a powerful teaching lesson in the home. You got any soundproof rooms in your home? <laughs> See, children hear what? 
everything. They hear if the voice goes up, they hear if the voice what? They hear everything in the home. So what they're hearing, they're hearing value. They're hearing those things, those words of security. They're hearing the words that allow for help. They hear the words of encouragement. They hear the words of servitude. They're hearing constantly. Now, not only will they be hearing, but they're also going to be watching. Don't try to convince your child to do something you yourself are not doing. It it somewhat destroys and hurts them because they don't understand if this is right or not. You cannot say to your child, don't go to school and fight when fighting is taking place where? Yeah. You can't tell your children, don't go out here and use profanity and profanity is taking place where? Because they're hearing and watching constantly. And what you want to ingrain in them is a consistency of how behavior functions and how two people function together and how a family comes together to help each other. Don't never think that I could have pastored if Lane wouldn't have helped. What I've sacrificed, she also has sacrificed. What I've suffered, she's also suffered. But our children have been able to see us do that together for the glory of Christ and for his church. They've seen two hearts melt together who wants to serve the Lord. That makes a huge difference in their outcome and what they're seeing then. The children see and they hear the parents more so than anyone else in those growing years and years of maturing. Either the son will say, I want to be like my dad, or the son will say, I don't want to be like that. The young girls will say, I want to be like my mom, or I don't want to be like that. It's only going to be one or the other. And oftentimes, what we miss is this. We can destroy our children before they ever take flight. Now, in the mind, and I want you to catch this. In the mind of a child, the parents are there. Present or not present. When a child is growing up, what you have inputted into a child's life is always there. Even when they're away from you. What you have trained them to do is there. Now it's up to them to make the what? The right choice. And when they're small, it's so cute to say, my mom or dad said, no, I'm not allowed to do that. But when they get 18, 19, they're not saying that. (laughs) 
But when they're small, they're saying that. Why? Because they've been taught that. They've been trained that. I can't do that. So when you hear a child when he's young saying, I've been taught, I'm not allowed to talk to strangers. <laughs> but when they're 17, 18, 19, those are not the words that they use. But yet they're able to begin to distinguish people who will help them or people who will harm them. Because, again, you have allowed others to participate and they're able to discern more. If you do too much protection of a child when it gets older, it cannot discern the characteristics of a person or the quality of a person. Now, understand this too. There is really, in a child's mind, no such thing as an absentee father. There's no such thing as an absentee father. Why? Because up here, I'm wondering what my father might be what? Be like. Up here, I'm trying to think. If my father would have been with me, what kind of person might I be today? What might be the things that my father and I may have done together? And then I'm trying to paint an image of him, of what he's really like. Because in in a sense, I don't know him. You cannot convince me that a child does not ask questions, even though they never verbalize them, about their parents. They do. They do. Because that parent is always there. That biological parent is there. And yes, they can substitute. But the substitution never takes the place of the biological. That's why you find people in their 50s trying to go back and find who? A father or a mother is there. Is there. Now, foundational statement. Do your children know the foundation from which you work from? Do they really understand that foundation? And do they understand that for you to live is Christ? Do they understand that? Now, in Joshua twenty four fifteen, Joshua makes this statement that, boy, oftentimes we don't give a lot of concreteness to, but we need to understand it, that yes, this is Joshua making a statement that is, boy, that is dynamite. And it's something that uh, I used to have hanging up in my office because when I did family counseling, or did counseling between husband and wife, I would ask them oftentimes, what's your foundation? What's your foundation? Because, see, we all need a foundation to build from. If your foundation is weak, what you're trying to build is going to be weak. If your foundation is faulty, what you're trying to build is going to be faulty. And Joshua makes this statement known. But I'm willing to say 
not just publicly known, his children know it. So what you make known out here in public ought to be maybe part also of what's happening in your home. What statements you make about God and what you believe, your children need to see you doing it and living it out. Hey. So Joshua says in that twenty four fifteen, he said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Now understand something. Joshua wasn't trying to captivate an audience per se. But Joshua basically says, you got to choose one or the other. Because you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in something else. You're going to make a choice. And Joshua is saying, for me and my family, we made that choice. We know who we're going to serve. We know. And he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the rivers of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house. Now, I want you to understand something. On this, there was not a democracy. There was not a vote taken. <laughs> Joshua firmly makes this statement. For me and my house. Everything in his house. I'm not talking about a guest that's traveling through. But even with a guest, they're going to understand. If you stay with me, there's certain things I will not allow. You won't bring you and your girlfriend and spend the night in my house. Without her sleeping in a separate bedroom. Hey. There are certain things you're not going to do. I don't smoke, so there's no ashtrays in my house. Now, I'm not going to say you can't smoke, but stand right outside the door and smoke. Hey. I'm not going to try to make you live life the way I live life. But my children need to see my standards kept. Not just with them, but with who? With everyone. And Joshua says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now when you get older, I don't know who you'll serve. Hopefully, you've been with us long enough, you say, boy, it's a blessing to serve the Lord. Hopefully, you've seen the evidence of God working in a family that you say, boy, I want to serve the Lord. Hopefully that you've seen God take us through some tough times and we did not relinquish our belief or our faith in God, but we said, God will make a way somehow. God will do this. God will provide. Sometime in Lane, boy, we wondered how we're going to pay tuition for two kids in college, but God provided. But your children see you trusting God. Remember? They hear and they watch. And they're seeing. Because it's foundational that you have to make it known to your children and even to your grandchildren. We're going to serve the Lord.
we're going to serve the Lord. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, there are only two family styles. In John 8, 38, I'm not talking about types now, but really just the style. When you start off, they're talking about Abraham. And Jesus understands, yeah, we're all of Abraham's family. And because we're there as Abraham's family, we're all under one roof, Abraham's roof. But Jesus says, there's something you want to do to me, and that is to kill me. But when you pick up in that verse 38, he simply says, I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. I'm telling you what I've seen in my Father's what? Now, there's two things that Jesus admits to. See what his father, but I also, I only teach what my father has taught me or I have heard from my father. He uses those two areas, what he sees and what he has heard. And here he uses the word, boy, what he has seen in the presence of his father. And he says, and you do what you're what you have heard from who? Your father. There's the two systems. Either you are following that position of allowing Satan to dictate, in a sense, what your home will be like, or you are allowing God to dictate what your home will be like. One or the other. There's only those two systems. I don't care what type of family you have, you have to choose, even if you're a single mom, will God be over your family or will the world be over your family? Will Satan dictate to your family? Now, when you bring in blended families in this, it becomes more difficult. Because when you try to blend a family you got to consider the baggage that is coming with it. What am I talking about baggage? Anytime children go through a divorce or separation of one of their original parents, there are psychological problems up here. And they show. But you got to have the wisdom and knowledge of knowing how to deal with it. Especially if they're young. And the whole process is to help them through it. Because they've been hurt, they've been scarred, and they live in a highly then disappointed world. They have lost security, they have lost the ability to trust. And they really don't have, which becomes hard then, to attach or bond 
Because the fear is always there if I bond, it's gone. And you always have to consider the damage previously done prior to your action in this family. Isn't it strange a surgeon will ask you what other type of surgeries you've had before? (laughs) Why? He's exploring what else has taken place in your body before he does what? He gets in there. It's strange that he'll ask you, do you have any ailments at this point, at this time? He wants to know before he what? Gets in there. What else he may have to be watchful for? He wants to know if you have high blood pressure. He wants to know if you're a diabetic. He wants to know if this is going on or if you have a weak heart. He wants to know that history for he knows what he's facing. When you get ready to blend a family, you got to know the history before you even really start that process somewhere. And even with children, your own children, there can be sometimes secret scars if you're not communicating. Because they have no way to express it. They have no out. And they need to be able to express it and vent it and let it out. Your home or family represents the God's family or Satan's family. It reveals traits of God in charge or it reveals traits of Satan being in charge. But understand this. Both have to be learned. Both have to be learned. A godly father just don't pop up. (laughs) A godly man just don't pop up. (laughs) It's a process that people go through in order to be that. A godly woman just don't pop up. A godly wife just don't pop up. It's a process which we go through to become that. Now, godly families look at a life, and we're close to from God's point of view. You're always looking at God's view on this subject. How would God handle this? What would God's decisions be? And therefore you're certain you're searching the scriptures. You're on your knees praying. You want God to speak to your heart about how to raise a family. How to love your wife. How to function. Because when you bring it from off the top of the head, usually it's going to be worldliness. And one of the things about Christianity today, is not a forcefulness behind Christianity. Because God desires it to be a desire from the heart. You love from the heart. You serve from the heart. Everything that you do in Christianity has to come from the heart and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never forced 
to do it. It comes from a relationship of love going back and forth between God and you, you and God. Go to Hebrews 12.2. In every area of life, you want to be able to do this. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus above all else. You want to recognize Him above all else. And he said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Understand this in a family. When anyone takes their eyes off Jesus, the others will know it. (coughs) When you take your eyes off Jesus and not following after Jesus, others will know it. Immediately. Why? Your behavior says, I'm not looking at Jesus right now. I'm not doing what Jesus would do or have me to do. That behavior or the words and the way in which they come says, Jesus is over here and I'm doing my thing. And it's that thing that says, okay, I'm doing what Jesus would have me to do for my family. Is Jesus that had me to do this for my children? Is Jesus that sitting down with my child through me and having a conversation? Amen. That's important. Always be knowledgeable of this. You can either give your children worldly, so-called wisdom, or godly wisdom. You're giving them one or the other. You're teaching them one or the other. Don't let nobody take anything from you. No. The Lord says, if somebody has need or if they take it, also give them what? Give them a little more. Why? You understand the principle. God provides for you. And when you give up something... God blesses you. Hey. When, I ca- when I think I caught the young man who was breaking our home, he broke in our home three times. Faith called me and said, Dad, I think I see the young man walking up the street. My next door neighbor saw him face to face because she came the fourth time he was getting ready to break in and she met him between the bushes in the backyard. And she told that's the young man, you know. So I got in my truck real quick and I caught up with him. And I said, young man, I got two people saying you're the young man that broke into my home. I said, I'm going to share something with you. I don't want to see you in prison. We got too many statistics now. Secondly, I don't want you breaking in and I'm fearful and you may not go back out. And thirdly, I believe if you will learn to ask God for what your needs are, God will provide them. 
And if you really will give yourself to the Lord, you become His responsibility and He'll meet all your needs that you don't have to steal. And the process is the opportunity to share with Him that what He was doing was wrong, but also allowing Him to know the dangers of it. And that there is a better way through Jesus Christ. When a young man broke into the church here, the police were here, everybody's here, and I saw the markings on the back of his coat. (laughs) And when the police left, I asked him, why did you break in the building? I didn't break in your building. I said, sir, I can take you down the basement window and show you where you crawled in at because you got the red markings on the back of your coat. That comes from that. And he, he said, I needed gas for my car. My car stopped a couple blocks from here. And I said, well, let's go to my house and let's get a gas can. Let's go get you some gas and put gas in the car. The thing is, is to learn how to even do good. But then my kids learn from that. Others learn from that. Hey? And we always have these teachable moments that we're teaching. Because your children are what? They're listening and they're seeing what you do. And he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And if I fix my eyes on Jesus, I know everything that we have, God can again provide for us. I haven't lost anything. He provides. And then in Matthew 6, 33, he tells me to do something. Build my treasures where at. And, and, and see, that can be difficult for us sometimes. Because we're here and we're dealing with these things. He says, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be what? Added unto you. Your children have to see you practicing what? Seeking after the things of God. They have to see you doing the right things for the right purpose. They have to see that. You have to demonstrate it. And if you do it, you will build a successful home. If you do it, you will build successful families. But it starts with the parent. And the parent understanding there's only two styles of family. God or Satan. Both are family. God or Satan. It's understanding that boy, through knowledge, God's going to help me build this home. And through wisdom, he's going to help me disperse the knowledge into the life of my children. Why? Because I'm passing it on from one generation to what? Another generation to another generation. I was taking Gus's son down to get some donuts one morning, my grandson. He's adopted. All three of Gus's children are adopted. Four now. Two boys, two girls. 
But he was telling me, I'm not going with you. And uh, I said, well, we're going to go tomorrow morning. I'm not going. So I got to Faith's house and I said, come on, we're going. And we didn't ride, we walked. Because the walking gives us time to communicate. The walking gives us time to talk. So we talk going down the hill. And, and see, at the house, my first expression was, I didn't ask you if you want to go to Krispy Kreme's. I said, I'm taking you to Krispy Kreme. That's altogether different. Okay. So you're going to Krispy Kreme. Okay. And his thing is, he don't like donuts. Well, he never had a glaze. Got down there, chocolate milk and glazed donut, and we sat at the table and we just talked. And I, get, I started to give him some rules about Grandpa. You know, and this is what Grandpa will not allow. This is what Grandpa appreciates you doing. This is what Grandpa is about, raising you and helping your dad to raise you. Grandpa is here to help you and encourage you. Grandpa wants to see you not just reach this height, but get to this height. Grandpa's here to encourage you, and Grandpa will even help finance, and Grandpa will do all in his power to help you be a successful young man. I don't know if anybody else ever told him that or not, but he had to understand Grandpa. So in communication, it allows him to get a little picture of Grandpa. And I had fun with him when I went over a couple of months ago. We, we did a reading class. And for the one young man, he has a hard time reading out loud. And I told him, okay, you're going to read and then you're going to explain to me what you read. And we're going to talk about it. And we did that between all four of us about two hours or more. And they were having just a great time telling me their story as I would ask questions and so forth. What am I doing? Building a relationship between me and them. Not just watching TV. Building a relationship with your children, your grandchildren. You build a relationship. Come here, Faith, in closing. Remember this? Yeah. <laughs> and I would take my kids and we would go for our walks and we would skip along the way <laughs> and we would talk and we would have fun. Because in fun, I can bring out the seriousness of life in talking with them. So when I said to Faith in her dating years, I don't want to see that young man at my house again. Guess what? She trusted me. Didn't see him again. When Mark first showed up, I said, well, I'll take time and learn about him. But trust. Build your families. Build the relationship. And next week we're going to talk a little bit more about that area of intelligence, that social part of their life and so forth. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. 
Because, see, it's important today. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord.